Amen. You can be seated. If you have a Bible, meet me in Psalm 84. We are, as a church, we, we do celebrate the freedom that we have. We are present always in celebrating the good. We believe that is a value that we need to have, that we see good and celebrate good because there's so much bad around us. Right, If you're watching online, if you were to just open a new tab and look at the news or Twitter, it would take you about five seconds to not feel great about what I just talked about and to recognize that the world is, you know, insert your favorite adjective, right? And so we, we recognize that and yet we say and see that there is good. That there is relationship, that there is love, that there is so many things that we love. Our church, we literally exist as an entity, as a body together to share the liberating power of the gospel. That, that the mission that Jesus came for is good enough for us to go for Am I making sense? Luke chapter 4, Jesus says as he's standing there on this earth, the God of heaven come in flesh. And he says, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to set those who are oppressed at liberty. And so it's, it's what we want to be about. And yet again, there's brokenness. There's profound brokenness all around us. And I don't want to belabor that point, but I want you to just see it. And, and even, even back in the early 1900s, I was reading a, I was reading a, what is it called? A journal that a pastor from the early 1900s, he was born in the 1800s, but was an adult in the very early 1900s. And his name was Reinhold Niebuhr. And I actually have a picture for you. So Jordan, if you can throw that up there, I want to read to you this little portion uh, as he wrote it, as he was sitting on one of these, called a Pullman smoker, just an old train. And he was sitting on there, and it was kind of the, the cultural phenomenon of the day, the, the water cooler, if you will, where the guys would gather and smoke their pipes and do whatever they did back in the day. But here's what he said. He said, I fell in with a gentleman on the Pullman smoker today. Pullman smokers are perfect institutes for plumbing the depths and shallows of the American mind. And this man made a killing on the stock exchange. His luck appeared like success from his perspective. <laughs> his luck, I want you to listen to that. His luck appeared like success from his perspective. And he was full of the confidence with which success endows mortals. He spoke oracularly on any and all subjects. Do you know this person? He knew why the farmers were not making any money and why the Europeans were not as prosperous as we are. Isn't it strange, and I love what he says here, isn't it strange how gambler's luck gives men the assurance of wisdom? For which all the philosophers for all of time have sought in vain. 
it's still a pretty accurate commentary on the culture that we find ourselves in a hundred years later, isn't it? Almost a hundred years to the month that he wrote that. We could change a few things out from like the Pullman smoker to armature works and we could say the same thing. I was standing in Buddy Brew waiting for Eli, the drummer. Where are you at, brother? He's back there. And, and we were going to have coffee together. And as I stood in line, there was a guy in front of me doing that. A lot more F words, but he was doing that. And I just thought to myself, like, because I had just been reading this and just thinking about this. And I'm like, my goodness, like, but he, here's what was so obvious. It's, it's a facade. It's fake. Right. And and it just made me think that even in a funny story like that is is that all we've got? Is that is that all we have is this gambler's luck in this life? Is is that is that the whole thing that we're going to hang our hat on? The facade of success. The fun of having the most toys and yet humans for all of time have asked that question haven't they you you can go you can go back to the caves in egypt and find the questions they were asking the things they were trying to worship we've been asking those big existential questions ever since in fact in the garden (laughs) Satan came to the very first humans and offered the same thing. Did God really say? And off we went. Even today, we want to know what's on Mars, right? There's got to be more than what we have here. What's on Mars? Is there ever life there? What's in the deepest part of the ocean? That's what my boys want to know, <laughs> right? And we're we're searching, we're searching, and looking and looking for meaning and then we come to the big question and is there a god is there a god i don't intend to answer all that or show you pictures of mars today but i do just want your mind to go there and ask yourself is gambler's luck really all that we have is is what i can find on my phone for entertainment really all that i've got here but even in the Old Testament, Solomon, wisest man we believe to ever live, wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And I believe those desires that we have to know are God-given. And here's why. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. I love that. Then it says this, Also, as we enjoy the beauty of His creation... He has put eternity into man's heart. I believe that's why we ask those big questions because we just, we have innate within us this knowledge that there is more. That, that what I see in front of me is not all that there is. And, and for certain periods of history, that was easier, right? Because we couldn't get on our phone and get on Instagram and see what was happening in the Middle East and see what was happening in Africa and see what was happening in Southeast Asia. And now we can. We have access to literally everything. You can get on your computer and go to Google Earth 
and zoom in on any part of the earth and have an within the last few months view of what was literally taking place on the ground there. And so it's a different time, but the truth is still relevant, isn't it? God's made everything beautiful in its time, but he's put eternity in our heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. See, what I love about that truth, though, is that as we are plumbing the depths of what we can find, we never find it all, right? We, we just made it to Mars, but we know that beyond Mars is so much that we cannot see, but we know it's there. I know it's out there, and with every magnifying glass and telescope that we find, we find more and more, and it's right here, so that we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. We're captivated by the transcendence of what is possible, of what we know to be real but cannot quite grasp. And yet all of us, who are Christians, we have known and felt and practiced as followers of Jesus Him to be very real and present. I look around here and I I know most of you and, and I know your stories and I know that you could tell me the times that He was there that he showed up and did things to let you know. And our psalm today, Psalm 84, was written to the Jewish people as a song for this purpose. I want you to listen to this, to practice the presence of God. This was a psalm that they would sing as they were looking up to Jerusalem, heading to worship, together in the temple and the up on the side of a mountain and they would sing this song to practice the presence of God to remind themselves that God was here that for all the transcendence as theologians would call it there was also his imminence he was close he was here And I don't know where you're at today, whether you're online or sitting here, but you might need to know that for all of those massive things that we think about, in this moment, God is right here. Literally, they would declare that they were making time and space for God in their busy lives. We're not the only culture that was busy. And so it's reminiscent of what Jesus said, right? In Matthew 6, 33, where he said, seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. But what you do first has the power to bless the rest. Can I get an amen in church today? Come on. What we do first has the power to bless the rest. And so how do we then practice the presence of God? What does it look like for you and I then tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday when you forget everything that your pastor said? Come on. 
you laughed pretty hard at that. You're like, you're right. <laughs> I'm okay with that, right? But how do you practice the presence of God on Wednesday and Thursday? You know, we, we gather together because there's something powerful there. There's a presence here and it's tangible and we love that and God promises to show up in that. And so we do it. And I'm going to share more about that in a minute, even from this psalm as to why it was so important to them to be in the room and all of that important. But how do you practice the presence of God? Let's read Psalm 84 first and then we'll, I want to give you four things, four, four postures of practice, if you will. But listen to this psalm. It's, it's beautiful on its own and I want you to just listen to it. Because God's words are better than mine. Here's what it says. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place. I believe somebody in here or watching online needs to just close your eyes and take a deep breath and know that. How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts. And feel small in that moment. (laughs) That the God of the universe has a dwelling place and it's lovely. We sang verse 2 earlier today. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Quite literally, in the presence of God... We can do nothing but sing for joy. There's, there's no other posture of our heart that communicates properly how it feels to be in the presence of God. It's why you like to sing in the shower. It's why you like to sing in the car and we drive past your window and you're like, and people are like, hey, happier than I am, right? And so it, it's in us, Right? It's why you're chuckling because, because we know what that's like, that even in the worst moments, I can turn a song on and go to a different place. How lovely is your dwelling place. Verse three, even the sparrow, even a bird finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And then here we are where we've been for our whole study in the Psalms. Verse 4, blessed. Right? The Psalms are all about this living in this posture of recognizing that I'm blessed by God. Blessed are those who, what? Dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That's that idea of going up to the temple to worship and they would sing this and practice his presence. Verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from, I love this, you might want to circle this in your Bible, strength to strength. Never in weakness. In his dwelling place. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts. Hear my prayer. Give ear O God of Jacob. 
Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. (laughs) I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen to this. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, here it is one more time. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Four postures of practice. How do you practice the presence of God? Number one, if you're taking notes, dwelling in the house. Right? Straight out of it, there was, there was this commitment by the people of God, this excitement even, this anticipation and joy to dwell. When you dwell in something, are you in a hurry? The answer is no. <laughs> yes or no, again, is our culture in a hurry? Yeah. There are some things that are at odds with practicing the presence of God, with following the ways of Jesus. There are some things that are at odds with it, and there are things in our culture that will always be at odds with the people of God. Showing up on a Sunday to gather as the, what, first part of your week is actually a disruption to the things of this world. If you've ever wondered why the people of God gather on the first day of the week after Easter, that first Easter, because they used to gather on Saturdays, was just a declaration of what God is doing. And so Jews living outside Jerusalem would ascend the mountain with great joy, despite it being kind of difficult. Because being in the, in the presence of God with God's people was different. It was different. There was something happening there that God chose to participate in. Acts chapter 2 tells us they would do it daily in their houses. And then they would go to the temple and meet together. Even, even in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, right? You might know this well. In verse 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, right? Like, because God came and went to the cross and provided good news for you and I that, you, that we could now have what we could never manufacture for ourselves, freedom in Christ, to be made right with God in an instant when Jesus is on the cross, And he stretched out those arms and they were nailed to a tree. And he said those famous last words, it is finished. Because of that, here's what it says. By a new and living way, he opened for us the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, right? The house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. A nod to the sacraments there. Here's what the reality is as you come out of that. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Not that you are faithful, not that I'm faithful, that Jesus is faithful. That would be a good spot to say amen. Amen. (laughs) But then look at this. Look at this. Right right on the heels, the, the funnel down from what God is doing and filling you up with leads to what you and I do for each other. These are inseparably connected, that if grace comes into your life, grace is going to flow out of your life. Look what it says. Right on the heels of God being faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near dwelling in the house together it matters church isn't optional right the expression of it is okay so i'm i'm not i'm not advocating for mitch's way right the expression of church there's some optional ideas that's where we get all of our denominations from because there are different ideas about what god was after Right? So I get it, the expression, but listen, beyond the, dis, beyond the expression, the body of Christ is essential to your everyday life. The actual, physical, tangible presence of God's people in your life is essential. Very important. Think about it. To dwell in something, right? When, when you go home, you have an apartment or a house or Salvation Army or wherever it is that you call home right now, like you go there and you dwell there, right? Your intention uh, is not to get up and move all the time. Like you need a place to dwell. And so we build houses and we make them comfortable and we do things for our kids and we, we do all the things because, right, we say this phrase, we're going to make our house a, a home, right? Because we want to dwell there. We want to be there. We want to be there. So why do I keep referring to us as the house, the home, the dwelling place? Listen to what Peter told us about God's church, about you and I. First Peter chapter two. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like that's easy. (laughs) Going to need some help with that. But look at, how do you do that? Look at this. Like newborn infants. How much do infants need help? All of it. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, listen to this, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual what? House. House. Spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're the house. Where does God choose to make his dwelling place? How lovely is his dwelling place? He's choosing to build his house 
in us. So if you put this psalm together, what, what, is, what is the application of how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty? He has chosen to do it right here. So listen, you and I, we, we come with all of our ideas and our preferences and our, and our, and our bad moods and, and all the things. But when you step in to the presence of God with God's people and he chooses to be here, those things need to melt away. You see, what it, what it says here is put away. doesn't say you suddenly don't have any malice in your life. doesn't mean suddenly that your kids are perfect. Can I get an amen? Looking at you. Doesn't mean that they're suddenly gone, right? What does it mean? It says, I'm going to put these away. I'm going to open the drawer and I'm going to put these away because I'm in the presence of God. And like a newborn infant, infant, I'm going to long for pure spiritual milk so that I can grow up in my salvation. And as I grow up in my salvation, maybe those things can just stay in the drawer. Right? Because God paid the price for them. They're forgiven. But you and I, we still struggle with it, right? Already but not yet. We say it all the time. But how about, how about a promise? You ready for a promise? Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus said, I will build my church. That house I'm building, I will build my church. He doesn't say I might or I'm going to try. What did he say? I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's Psalm 84.10, right? For a day in your courts is better than thousands elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Powerful. There's a lot of wickedness out there. <laughs> Many of us are wrestling with it right now. Don't be surprised by it. Pray for it. Pray for people. People aren't the enemy. But there is joy in here. We want to invite people to find the joy that is in here. That there is an oasis. That there is one place that's a hospital for sinners. And it's here. If you go farther in the book of Psalms into Psalm 122 verse 1. The writer, the author says this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Listen, if you're watching online or you're in here, you need to find a place that you are glad to go to the house of the Lord. And if it ain't here, you need to find one. Even if it's not here. I say that to you as a pastor because, because God's people, life's too short, right? It's where we started today. Life's too short to dread going to church. That's not the picture that God painted. It's not. He said, I will build my church. And we, there's joy there. There's peace there. Paul would tell his friends in Rome, in Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal. <laughs> never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. How do you do that? You, you got to love being here. You got to love being in the presence of God with God's people. Never lack in zeal. Wow. So, so then our natural reaction, I've already let the cat out of the bag. 
right? Because I couldn't help myself. Number two is praise, right? It's praise. Like, like if all of that's true, what do we do here? We can't help it but praise. I, I, I can't keep it in. And so we're going to give you another try because some of you were keeping it in. All right? In just a minute, when I get to number four, the band's going to come up. And we're going to try again. And you're going to not be lacking in zeal. Amen? Amen. All right. I'll be, I'll be watching. Not that this is school or anything. <laughs> but we can't help ourselves, right? What's the psalmist say? My heart and flesh sing for joy to the Lord. I can't, I can't help it. It's all of me, my heart, which is the things I cannot see in myself, the, the spiritual, the soul. But it's my heart and my flesh. Sing. For the Lord goes without saying that this this literally is a song, right? It literally is a song. So it makes sense, right? So even within the song, we're called to this higher place of praise. Lovely is his dwelling place. We want to be there. We want to be with him, all of us, all of our being. Psalm 47, 1, Camden shared it earlier. Clap your hands, all people. Doesn't say clap your hands for those of you who are in a good mood. All right? Doesn't say clap your hands unless you're tired. What does it say? It says clap your hands, all people. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Don't you love that? That's not a translation thing. All of them say that. Loud. Because even if you are in the worst of times... There has to be a place where you can come and take the mask off and have somebody else minister to your heart. And that's where the Holy Spirit is. But he says, he, he says I'm going to do it in the ways that I've created you to do it. I've created you to be a people together. Clapping your hands, shouting to God with loud songs. Uh, there's a story in Second Samuel. I don't have time to share this. I'm going to share it anyway because it's, it's kind of funny because there's a little marital problem happening. Raise your hand if you've ever had. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. You're like, no, my spouse is perfect, right? It's only you, Pastor. You're the one who has the struggles. But King David, right, who wrote a lot of our Psalms, had... And I don't have time to unpack it all, but basically one of the psalms that are written here, he's singing and dancing to the, to the point where he's so enthralled before God's presence that he takes his clothes off. Okay? He's, he's so with the Lord that it got a little crazy. All right? And we'll unpack that theological thing later, but we'll just leave that over here. Okay? Because it doesn't fit with my story right now. But what I want to share with you in Second Samuel is when he comes back. He comes back home to his wife. And I want you to listen to what he says here. Because there's a marital key in here too. Here's what it says. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. This was his wife. Okay? And said, how the, you can just hear, you can hear the sass, can't you? How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. 
going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. (laughs) But listen to this. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. And then I love this statement here. Love this statement here. I will celebrate before the Lord. I don't know about any of y'all, but when I come into the presence of the Lord, when I gather with God's people, I will celebrate before the Lord. And then then he says this. Then he gets a little sassy. He might have had to repent for this. He goes, "You you know what? You know what, lady? I will... I'll become even more undignified than this. I don't know how you get more undignified than getting naked and prancing around with your hands up, waving them like you just don't care. But then look at this. He says, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. He's saying, he's saying, I don't, he said, I will do whatever it takes to praise the Lord. And I don't care what anyone else around me thinks. Somebody needs to be set free in their worship today. It don't matter what any one of us think, because you know what? What makes you feel uncomfortable makes the rest of us encouraged. You need to know that. What makes, what makes any of us up here uncomfortable encourages those of us out there, right? And so, so let it go. The New Testament describes our gathering as God's people in similar fashion in Ephesians 5. Listen to what it says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord. What? With your heart. We tell people, put your heart into it. Why? Because it it comes from somewhere else, right? It's not just about what we're doing. It's from the heart. We, We recognize that anything that comes from the heart is better than if it doesn't, right? We know that. Which leads us to number three, because without all of that, you'll never get number three, which is walking uprightly. You cannot walk uprightly apart from Jesus. It is not possible. God's law is there to make sure that you understand how terrible you are. Right? The old reformers called it a hammer. (laughs) just need to be beat on the head with a hammer a few times. You're like, I get it. I'm a terrible person, right? Jesus would come on earth and he'd say, be perfect as your heavenly father is imperfect. How's that going? It's not. Ask my wife. But think through the context with me, right? We've talked through the positive aspect of dwelling together in the house of the Lord. But what does it mean to dwell in the tents of wickedness? Right, because that's that's the other posture that's thrown out here. I'd rather spend a, a thousand days. I'd rather spend one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand in the tents of wickedness. So what what it's saying is there's actually a choice here. Like you can choose where you're going to dwell, and it, it's going to inform the rest of your life. You're going to choose where you dwell, and it will inform the rest of your life. And so on this Independence Day, right? Where are you going to dwell? The scripture describes entering God's rest. 
that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and that he's the prince of peace and that there's joy in his presence. Does that describe your life? Or are you dwelling in the tents of wickedness where there's, where there's great, great dissatisfaction with the things of this world? Because sin is pleasurable for a season, Scripture says, but it never delivers on its promise. It sounds great, but delivers crap. That's the theological way to say that. For others, it might be chasing success or money or family or status or achievement. Depends on your Enneagram number, right? But none of those things are bad, what? Unless we dwell there. If you dwell in achievement, if you dwell in success, if you dwell in getting perfect kids, if you dwell in anything, you fill it in. If you dwell there, it becomes idolatry. It becomes a tent of wickedness. And we begin to worship them as the problem, right? Because ultimately where we choose to dwell, we end up worshiping. We end up praising because it's coming from the heart then. That all feels super daunting to me though. Right? Because you and I recognize that that we aren't who we're supposed to be. Right? Scripture is clear. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, so we recognize that. But there's an old Presbyterian pastor named Jack Miller who once said this, and I wanted to encourage you as you think about what it means to walk uprightly and the fact that it doesn't mean just buckle up and get it done, get her done, right? Independence Day, get her done. Like that's not, that's not what it means. It's about dwelling. It's about where you choose to dwell. Jesus would say similar things in John 15, right? Abide in me and I in you. Dwell. So here, here's what he said. Here's what this old pastor said. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Should have got some more amens, yeah? <laughs> tell I'm here to tell you you're a lot worse than you think you are. But, I love this, but God's grace is a lot bigger and better than you think it is. Amen? And that leads us to number four. The last piece of this psalm is trust. Band's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to take, take another round at praising the Lord loudly. But all of those things lead to trust, right? Because here's the reality. One of the things that we recognize is how little I started here, and I want to end here, how little we control. Whether it's the condo collapse in South Florida or what's happening around the world in conflict, military conflict, or whether it's, you know, what, whatever it is going on in your life. Maybe you're facing cancer, or maybe you lost a child, or maybe you lost a spouse, or maybe you're homeless right now, or whatever it is that's sitting right in front of you. We recognize that there's so little we control, but I, I, I love that faith and trust go hand in hand here. Right? It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that, says, that tells us that faith is the evidence of the things we can't see. Right? That eternity is put into our heart. And that there are things that we can't see Him, but we've seen Him. Are you following me? We can't touch Him, but we've felt Him. 
right? You tracking? We dwell together and praise him and our fervor and our temperature rise because he's here and he's trustworthy. So whatever it is right in front of you right now, he's trustworthy to handle that for you. Because that's part of the posture of practice is to trust him with your life when you think that you could do a better job because you can see what's right in front of you. But what we know as followers of Jesus is that we actually do a terrible job playing God's role. That only God can play God's role. And we don't make a good one. Posturing yourself in this presence of God leads us to that blessing. I love that. Leads us to, because what does it say? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. What does blessed mean? Happy. Some translations use the word happy there. It's joy. Life is too short to live it without joy. And I want to I want to woo you into the presence of God, into the presence of his people. And just say that I would rather spend one day as a doorkeeper in his presence than thousands in the places that I think are going to give me satisfaction and never do. It's where you want to be. If I had to title this sermon I would title it that. It's where you want to be. So wherever you walked in here thinking you want to be, if you're sitting at home, wherever you think you want to be on this Independence Day, let me tell you, there's a place that is so much better because it's the place where Jesus is. Amen. Come on, whatever God's passionate about, we're passionate about. He's passionate about his name. He's passionate about his glory. He's passionate about his people. And we're passionate about it too. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. <laughs> it didn't say God loves the world, even though they're crappy. We are. We get it. You said that, Pastor. No, no, no. What's it say? It says, God so loved. Man, he gets, he gets excited about that. He so loved. That's an important word. So. He so loved the world that he gave his very best, his son, so that you and I could have life. Eternal life. Eternal life that would provide you joy and satisfaction right now. Like before you walk out of that door. Joy could enter your heart. Watching online, that before you click off, joy can be in your life. That that it's that it's not some unreachable thing. That it's that it's real. Because remember, a, a life not lived with and for others isn't really life. It's not. It's not really life. We exist to share and spread all over our city the liberating power of the gospel but I do believe that somebody within the sound of my voice 
needs to experience that today. Jesus said it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. Was he saying that you can't go brush your teeth or get in your car or go to work or whatever it is that you do? Of course you can, but you'll just be dwelling in the tents of wickedness, joyless, selfish, living for yourself, which is no life at all. It's death. But there's this alternative. How lovely is your dwelling place, my Lord and my God. I'd rather I'd rather spend one day as a doorkeeper in the house of my God than thousands elsewhere. But here's here's the reality. Because of Jesus going to the cross and giving us a new and better covenant, we can have it all day, every day. <laughs> Keep wanting to feel like Independence Day. I need to speak like a Southerner. <laughs> every day. You can have it every day. I'm from the Northeast, so I've probably got that wrong. Some of you are really laughing at me right now. You're like, this guy's an idiot. But I like what he's saying. You've got to cut through what I'm saying to get to what Jesus is saying. Amen? Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so I want to land in that place that we started and just say, God's put eternity in your heart. And I don't know what your life looks like. If you're watching online, hear this years later. I don't know what your life looks like. But here's what I do know, that with Jesus at the center of it, dwelling in his house, there's joy. And as I look around our world, I see a whole lot less joy as we dwell in the tents of wickedness, which is, frankly, anything that's not God's house what he's doing. So I want to pray for you that God would just set you free. That if you've never put your trust in him, that today you would do that. The Bible says it's very simple. It's the simplest thing, yet the hardest thing, right? Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. Why is that so hard? We say all the time here that we don't think people coming to Jesus is a science issue, a history issue, or any other issue other than a lordship issue. That he's the boss. <laughs> that he's in charge. But I can tell you this, that he's trustworthy. That even though he'll be in charge, he's better at it than you are. And so if that's you today, if you've never done that, or Maybe you did it as a kid and it's just not real. You do that as we sing this next song. You do that as we, as I pray. Just in your own, there's no magical prayer. Just do it in your own heart before the Lord. Enter into his dwelling place. How lovely is his dwelling place. Would you do that today? And then tell somebody. Because I, I've tried to build the case that it's us. It's us. And we would love to help you walk on that journey of being with Jesus.